Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Welcome on back to the same edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, I suppose. It is your boy, Spenny Powers. I am solo today, unable to, to time things up last night with Jake. We attended a little party. Shout out to Rita Galbwell. Shout out to Glenn Clark. Had a great time. Thank you so much for having us. Went to the old Admiral's Cup in Fells Point. Had a really nice time. So uh, I will be solo doloing this one. We do have Daniel Oyafusi of the Miami Herald who is attached at the end of this, giving his kind of breakdown of the Dolphins and, and things of that nature. So just going to be me breaking down some thoughts and notes, went through, watched most of the Dolphins' offensive performance against the Patriots, uh, got to the point where it was 20, you know, they were up they were up three scores and just kind of trying to run the ball out and gave up a little bit there. So, uh, so I guess starting with that in the fourth quarter, it really didn't appear that they have any sort of, and this this isn't just starting in the fourth quarter, but throughout the entire game, the Dolphins lack any real physical presence offensively in terms of being able to hit, being able to physically impose your will, uh, things of that nature. I would really say with like, I don't know, Tyreek Hill is the second most like imposing physical presence um, as a player, aside from Armstead. Uh, what I did notice tendency-wise, the, the Dolphins really are trying to make things as easy as humanly possible on Tua. McDaniel is using motion to throw the ball a ton, a ton, a ton, a lot of motion to give Tua quick outs in the flats. So Tua against the Patriots had 36 dropbacks, 23 completions. Eight of them were targeting a, mo- a receiver who was in motion pre-snap. Uh, that tied with Geno Smith and Patrick Mahomes for the most in the NFL in week one. 25 of Tua's 36 dropbacks had a receiver in motion, and Tua went 14 for 22, took three sacks, and also threw a touchdown to Jalen Waddell. It definitely appears that they like to use Tyreek Hill to attack downfield. Similarly, in motion to how we saw the Ravens at times use Devin Duvernay actually in 2021. Obviously, they're going to target him a lot more, but you see him come in motion across the formation and then just storm out of the gates, stomping, 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 getting vertical, uh, creating as much vertical push as he can. And then he'll break down like very few players in the NFL can turn around for some comebacks or some hitches, things like that. And obviously DBs are going to be scared to death of him beating them over top. So he's going to have a ton of cushion for some easy throws. Um, that's going to happen. They're, they're going to have chunk plays to Tyree Kill as well as Jalen Waddle. Uh, only 13 of Tua's 36 dropbacks 
targeted past the sticks, past the first down marker. He only completed six of those 13, and only eight of them were catchable. He had 7.9 yards per attempt when there was motion and 8.7 yards per attempt when there wasn't. His average distance of target is a dot without motion was 5.5. So if there's no motion, at least against the Patriots, they were not looking to push the ball downfield. Tua was not looking to push the ball downfield. And to me, that says it's a lot to do with comfortability. Um, when you run a really high rate of motion to throw the ball, what are you doing for your quarterback? You are simplifying things. You're giving him answers. Uh, you're, you're giving him, you know, the summary or the outline, the cliff notes to what the defense is doing. When you have Tyreek Hill come in motion across a formation, you're going to see who's going to run with him. You're going to be able to identify mostly zone, but how the zone is going to rotate and, and get a better idea. You're going to be able to prevent defenses from disguising things pre-snap and then giving you a different look post-snap because they're going to roll into their post-snap look because of the motion. Um, they, they can't really disguise it. So that's going to give to a, a heads up a little bit. So again, you know, really weren't looking to push the ball down the field when there wasn't motion on the play, only 5.5 yards per uh, or average distance of target. And uh, again, just really looking to help him read coverage. You obviously, like I said, can't play man because of Tyreek and Waddle. I would anticipate the Ravens in this matchup defensively to definitely rely on a lot of split safety looks like they did in week one uh, against the Jets, as well as playing a lot of palms, cover four, uh, where all four defense, all four, let's say the outside corners and the split safeties are all in a back pedal. Each of them have a, a, a fourth of the field and in a dead back pedal. That's the best way, I guess, to describe quarters. The best way to beat quarters is to attack the middle of the field. However, and, and Tua does, he has a very little margin for error. When I'm watching him again, it, it just kind of reminds me of a little, you know, Poor man's Russell Wilson in terms of the way he moves and rolls out and how quickly he will bail if there's any kind of pressure and what his bails look like. Also reminds me of Jimmy G, uh, maybe because of Mike McDaniel coming from the 49ers in a sense, but just not really a super gifted arm talent. Um, Jimmy, I think, is a lot less, I want to say tough, but also a much more clean mover from inside the pocket. His footwork stays consistent. I think that Jimmy does have a little bit more arm talent than Tua does. The arm talent really was an issue. The long touchdown they had to Waddle was on fourth and eight on the Patriots 40. Huge, you know, uh, ballsy move by Mike McDaniel. Tyree Kill after the game says you're going to have to have a wheelbarrow to carry his nuts around. Awesome South Park reference if that's what it was, Tyreek. Uh, but ultimately, there were a few plays where, where Tua got the timing perfect. Um, and what I did also see is that when he was able to set his feet, especially later in the game, he can maximize his structure. He can maximize his posture get as much drive on the ball as he can. And it felt like against the Patriots, they were moving him way too much early in the game, trying to move him off his spot, rollouts across his body. He has an ugly cross body uh, throwing motion, just looks discombobulated, not perfected yet. Obviously he's a lefty. Um, so they rolled him right a couple times and, uh, you know, he can, he can, when he escapes the pocket, he has good awareness of, of where the outlet is and he can just float a meatball over to a receiver. And, and they really do have some shifty guys, Edmonds and, and the other backs, you know, Hill, Waddle, all these guys they have can do damage after the catch. Absolutely. So if he can just put the ball in their hands, they can make plays. Uh, but when he was planted, it looked a lot cleaner. He could posture up, like I said, and drive the ball. Um, it looks like they stopped moving him as much in the second half, a lot more zero and one-step drops, throwing some screens, a lot of quick throws to the flats. Uh, he wants to get the ball out as quick as possible. Hill is going to eat. You know, Waddle is going to eat. They're going to manufacture them touches on screens. And Hill will do his shifty little, you know, weight, you know, transitions into a ball carrier, carrier like some sort of, you know, 
plan nine from outer space, you know, Martian coming to invade earth and he can just transition, get right up field. Uh, basically what I think of Tyree kill, I think the most consistent thing I've seen him done over the, do over the years with, with the football in his hands is that he likes to square you up and keep his feet moving, give you a little hesitation so that you show him where you want to go or where you want to protect. In other words, and then he goes there anyway because he's like, oh, well, I'm faster than you. So I know you're going left. Now I can just run around you left and, and take that you know position to the sideline, get up the field, uh, and, and you're you're trying to bring me back to the defense this way. Um, so he just goes right around you. going to happen. They're going to move the ball in chunks at times. The backs, the run game, um, the right side of their line is stinks, and they're desperate for a right tackle right now. Uh, the right guard, not, not a great performance. Uh, left guard, not a great performance. Armstead and, and their center, Connor Williams, both were effective against the Patriots. Uh, but they they just don't get a ton of push. They like to – they ran off a couple sweeps, a couple tosses, you know, those kinds of things. You know, they want to run them some outside zone, run the ball to the outside, the perimeter, work the defense laterally. Just leaves huge alleys for safeties and, and linebackers to go blow plays up. You know, I like Edmonds. He's shifty. He can, you know, dart his way through effectively. He's not scared to kind of cut in and out of traffic uh, between the tackles, some of those things. So uh, their backs are okay. They're, they don't really scare you. Edmonds is pretty solid in pass protection uh, from what I've seen from him in Arizona and as well as, you know, watching this Patriots game. So that's a nice little thing. But, um, you know, a team that you're – if the worst-case scenario happens and the Ravens are playing – this game, Waddle, you know, has a big play, scores a touchdown. Hill is dominating. He has 140 yards, maybe a touchdown. Uh, they can't really run the ball out effectively. So they do need to use the pass game as an extension of their run game. But again, it's just not – Tua can't drive the ball to make you pay on the sideline. I really have wanted to like Tua and kind of stay against the grain, I guess, on him. Uh, wasn't crazy high on him coming out, but I don't know. I just, I just think he is a little bit better than giving credit for, but again – the Arm talent really is is bottom tier uh, for for anyone who can play in the NFL. PFF graded him with zero big time throws and two turnover worthy throws. Tyree Kill went and grabbed a ball off of a face mask of a defender that should have had an interception. So uh, Mike McDaniel trying to make it as easy as possible for him. All of the motion, all of those kinds of things, um, you know, giving him you know the cliff notes to the defense and the coverage and those things. And again, there are going to be some nice in rhythm anticipatory throws. But he has to do that uh, or else he's not going to be successful. So I really wanted my, my kind of Sunday takeaway kind of, you know, after watching some highlights of the Dolphins and things, thought this was going to be a really tough game for the Ravens on that side of the ball. And, you know, hey, they, the Ravens likely aren't going to have uh, Brandon Stevens potentially out, uh, Kyle Fuller done for the season. You know, Jalen Armour Davis suddenly propels up. Not sure if we're going to see Marcus Peters. Um, so the dime looks, I didn't think the Ravens were going to run a ton of dime. Um, and I'm, I'm not even going to say it's because of injury. I think they just are going to run a lot more dime than I expected. I didn't realize Chuck Clark would be the green dot defensive play caller again. And so he's not coming off the field. Marcus Williams isn't coming off the field. And Kyle Hamilton is going to get a minimum of 20, 25 snaps a game, I would think, at, at the very least. So that's, that's going to lend you to likely – a minimum of 25 to 30% dime, I think. So uh, that's going to be a huge key in order to contain this deal. Uh, Patrick Queen's going to have to go tackle in space. We did watch him go hunt down Tyree Kill last year on the sideline uh, last time they played, but the Chiefs also picked on him at times. So I'm curious to see. But I think this defensive line, even regardless if Travis Jones plays or not, but you're just adding more depth, uh, is going to wreck shop against the Dolphins. They are going to pressure Tua. I don't know how the Dolphins score 
more than 20 points. Um, I think the doomsday for the Ravens would be 24 points that the Dolphins score. I just don't see it in the cards. The tight ends aren't relatively impressive in blocking. They don't, you know, really do anything downfield. Um, not, you know, big run after the catch guys. They do use their fullback quite a bit. He, to me, I can tell where the play is going a lot of the time. He is looking where he's going to go in motion. He is looking where he's going to block. It is like playing peewee football kind of. I, I don't know. I, he was looking left, and then he's blocking left a lot of the time. Simple, simple tell. Uh, but, you know, offense was really unimpressive to me outside of obviously Waddle and Hill. And if those guys combine for, you know, 180 yards after the catch and score three touchdowns, then, hey, the Dolphins can win this game. Um, unless the Ravens put up a stinker offensively, I guess transitioning to the other side of the of the coin. I think that Cole Jackson did a really fantastic breakdown of what the Dolphins showed last year in terms of forcing the Ravens to, to – they basically forced the Ravens to slide one way in their protection. They would show – they would mug the A-gap. They would show two defenders – standing two linebackers or a dimebacker standing over the center. And then whichever way the center went, both of those defenders most of the time would just drop into coverage into hooks that way. And then they would bring pressure off of the opposite side. So they would end up only bringing four or five, but they would have four on three on the other side, wherever the center didn't go. The center is not going to be able to protect inside, which allows the left guard to protect outside, which allows the left tackle to go get the end man in the back and pick up something between. So I think that the answers for doing that uh, I don't think the Dolphins are going to run it to the extent that they did last year when these two teams played. I think that Daniel Oyafusi gets into a really smart take about why the short week impacted them doing that defensively, and it made a ton of sense and considering where they were with their season, and that's on the, the end of me ranting here, I suppose. So uh, that that's a great interview. You can skip ahead if you want to listen to that one. But ultimately, um, they're going to do it again. They're going to do it in some high leverage downs, I think third down, third and long, see if the Ravens can handle it. How do you handle it? Well, if you're scared of the actual zero, which they ran, I think, you know, five, six times in that game, actually brought all out blitz. Well, you can go take a running back or you can go take a tight end and you can stick them. You know, let's say you're in shotgun. You can go stick them directly in the A-gap ahead of the quarterback next to the center behind them. Then if one of the linebackers comes, they can fill. Then you don't need to have the center sliding that way. Uh, so that's one answer. When you do that, guess what they're going to do? Overload the opposite side and at least get one-on-ones, if not one unblocked rusher. But you know where it's going to happen from at that point. So if you're aware, this is deep chess, but if you're aware of where the pressure is going to come from, usually you like to replace the pressure or the blitz by throwing there. So if they're bringing pressure off the left side, you can run a screen to the left side. You can run a bullet slant to the left side. Some of those kinds of things. Uh, the Ravens did have answers last year. They ran bullet slants. They they tried a couple of screens. They tried to run a speed option where you're just attacking one defender. It was Jerome Baker and Lamar kind of didn't have the chutzpah in a short week to go attack Jerome Baker head on and maybe take a hit and then flip the ball in the speed option. He kind of just pitched it out to Devontae Freeman. Baker goes and chases him down. Speed option's a classic answer. Tempo, another way to prevent them from getting settled. Uh, in that game, the Dolphins really just, they hit harder. They executed well. When the Ravens ran rollouts, yet another answer to the, these pressure looks, these mugged up, you know, quote unquote, cover zero looks, uh, the Dolphins just sprinted perfectly in coverage. It, it was really just an outstanding game of execution from the Dolphins. So that was in Miami on a short week. The Ravens overlooked them severely. Now they are coming to the Ravens in their home opener. From the fan perspective, I think that it's going to be a much different game, a much different environment, a uh, much different team offensively for the Dolphins. And, you know, 
Hill did some great things. Waddle did some great things too. I made a couple of nice throws here and there, but they are still not fully on the same page. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for turnovers. Um, I, it feels like the Dolphins are really focusing on generating yards after the catch. I would love, love, love to see if I can find a prop bet for the Ravens to force over one and a half fumbles in this game. They are running around with meatloaf in their hands, a loaf of bread, and it's getting willy-nilly. Jalen Waddle tried to lower his shoulder. Someone came and popped it out. They are emphasizing yards after the catch to the point where I think ball security is lacking a little bit. The Ravens, I've always loved shots on goal. You know, forced a couple fumbles last week, and I expect at least one forced fumble from the Ravens in this game. Um, if they're able to generate two turnovers, I think the Ravens win this game handedly. I think that's going to be a huge aspect of it. But the offensive side of the football is still remaining there. You know, they don't have Byron Jones. Uh, they do have Javon Holland. They do have Xavier Howard. I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for Devin Duvernay again. I would imagine that Howard is probably going to be on Bateman a little bit more so. And hey, Devin Duvernay, go do something after the catch. Go run some quick slants. Go run some quick plays. Uh, get that in. This week is not a week to, like last week, have a man call and a zone call. This is a week to have checks in case you get pressure looks. So the Ravens really need to emphasize quick calls, shortening verbiage, and getting to the line, giving Lamar a chance. You know, Roman and company need to be able to give Lamar options. Every kind of high leverage down, third down, you know, second and long, whatever, mainly third down, you need to have a check for every play. And it doesn't, it can be the same check. It can be three, maybe four checks. You can run the, the same check multiple times. That's fine. In, in, you know, different ways from different formations or alignments, same exact kind of structure or, or concept ultimately. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge thing. Now they're at home. They're going to be able to use hard count. If you get the line a little quicker, use a little bit of tempo. Um, that's how you will beat this defense. In terms of the run game, don't think there will be one. Uh, the Dolphins up front, Sealer, Wilkins, those guys are, are absolute units. I, I don't think that the Ravens kind of have the bodies right now. I would love to see Nick Boyle, uh, more of Nick Boyle or any of Nick Boyle, and really a little bit less Ricard, to be honest. I think that Ricard can do some nice things in line. Uh, Ricard, you know, wasn't great last week, especially to start the game. And, hey, maybe it's a little bit of rust, whatever. But – uh, I think Boyle is going to be a huge aspect and, and the Ravens should utilize him uh, this week for sure in this game where if you want to go run the ball, he's going to help you. He's going to be able to wash guys out. He's going to be able to down block. He's going to be able to connect in space. Um, he's going to execute his assignment more consistently, I think, than Ricard would in this game. And I would prefer to have him in those kind of six-man front looks where he's in line attached. So um, that's an opportunity. Hey, Isaiah Likely. Probably going to get a couple opportunities to go run with the football after the catch as well. So all guys that need to step up, execute. Um, the Dolphins are going to bring some pressure. They're going to. It's the same defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, while Brian Flores is no longer there. And you heard Mike McDaniel this week say this is the defense's football team until proven otherwise. Um, so they're relying on their defense to go have an outstanding effort. I don't. You know, they had a nice game last week. It was a nice game, but I don't think that the threat of the Mac Jones Patriots uh, is is really comparable in any way to the Ravens offense and what they have and guys like Mark Andrews and um, really Rashad Bateman as well. So I, I do expect, you know, I, I tried to go into this one. I, I, th I thought I was going to take the Ravens uh, to lose this one. I ultimately am going to take them to win. I think the Ravens are going to be able to put up, you know, have two, at least two touchdown scoring drives. I would say the Ravens score at least 20 points in this one. Uh, I'm going to call it 27 to let's go with 18 in this one, a funky score. Uh, so I think the Dolphins will have big plays. They will chunk downfield. Tyreek Hill, who knows? You know, Waddle could have an 80-yard touchdown. 
Tyreek Hill could have an 80-yard touchdown. It happens, but I just don't see them being able to consistently manufacture the offense. Uh, I, I feel like Marcus Williams is a huge factor in this one in helping out. I, I would expect bracketing of Hill quite a bit and would love to see Humphrey and kind of man match on Waddle. So go take away, use Marcus Williams to kind of help over top to take away Tyreek Hill. Um, if you can, you know, hey, it's easier said than done. And then I think Jalen Waddle's a beast, man. I'm, I'm probably going to be putting him in DFS this week uh, a good bit. I think he's an outstanding receiver, very high on him this offseason and fantasy and all of those things. think he has a big day, but I don't think the Dolphins can really manufacture unless, hey, unless they get a defensive touchdown, recover a fumble, pick six, something like that. I don't see them scoring more than 20 points in this game. So that's uh, that's really all I have. I think Jake said that he had uh, Mike McDaniel having a bag of tricks ready for the Ravens, and, and that would kind of make sense. But I think that goes both ways. Ravens didn't really have to pull a bunch out against the Jets. And so Jake had the Ravens to win this one. Ultimately, 31 Dolphins, 26. He said, first half razzle-dazzle by McDaniel keeps it close, but two second half touchdowns by Mark Andrews seals the deal. So there you have it, Jake and I, in true Purple Patrol fashion, both both taking a Ravens win here. I didn't think that's what I was going to take, to be honest. I really didn't uh, heading into this one, but I'm just not impressed enough by Tua nor their offensive line. and I don't think they're going to be able to handle a super physical, radical Ravens front the way Justin Houston played last week, Odafe away taking so many double teams. I mean, um, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the way that Campbell and Pierce and Matabike and maybe Jones and, and Washington, I think, exploit this Dolphins line at home. And the bank is going to be rocking. It's not going to be, you know, a Thursday night home game like it was last year for the Dolphins on a short week. So I uh, think that's going to be the penultimate result here. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. But with that, we can get over to Dan Oyafusi, who has a little bit more insight into the Dolphins. Uh, about 20 minutes there. So thank you guys so much for listening and we will talk to you after the game. See ya. All right. Welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. It is Friday, September 16th, and I am joined by a good friend of the show, a good friend in general. It is Dan Oyafusi, formerly of the Baltimore Sun, currently with the Miami Herald down there, Miami chilling, Mr. 305 himself. Dan, how's it going, my friend? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm Mr. 305 right now, but I'm, I'm 410 at heart, so I'm glad to be there talking to you. There we go. There we go. So, yeah, Dan, you know, tell 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 the good listeners, obviously, your your football story, how you came into it, how you, you know, from Maryland, obviously, like you said, and got to where you are. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like I said, you know, born and raised in Maryland, uh, right outside Towson, went to Towson High School, University of Maryland. You know, I grew up watching the Ravens. Watching the Orioles a little bit. They haven't been too good, but the turn things around, it looks like. Um, and, you know, always just interested in sports, interested in sports writing. Um, so, you know, like I said, I went to the University of Maryland. And after that, I was blessed enough to, right after graduation, to be able to come back to the back home, come to the Baltimore Sun, where I covered the Ravens and a little bit of Terps uh, for two years. Started uh, 2019, the Marlins MVP season, and then the 2020 season. Then after that, I came down to uh, Miami right before uh, the start of the 2021 season. So, you know, I'm getting uh, I'm in the middle of my uh, fourth season covering the NFL, second season covering the Dolphins, and I'm uh, just so excited for this uh, game coming up. Definitely, and a very exciting Dolphins team, and it was really interesting, I guess, to, to kind of dive right on into it. Last year, we had you on to talk about that Thursday night game, and it felt like that was such a, a dueling dichotomy between a team that was atop of the AFC charging forward despite a lot of injuries in Baltimore and then a Dolphins team that had severely under underperformed relative to expectations 
And then things just, it got freaky Friday on a Thursday. Things turned upside down. The Dolphins absolutely uh, just bamboozled the Ravens for really four quarters, especially uh, defensively to the Ravens offense. And that game ultimately ends up being an, a little bit of an impasse for the Ravens. And then the Dolphins go on a pretty mighty run and get themselves into playoff contention. So just wanted to talk about how that sparked Miami's run and what you saw, obviously, you know, covering the Ravens being, you know, from Maryland, from Baltimore, uh, all of those things and what you ended up seeing after that, after that game and how it kind of impacted both team seasons from that point forward. Yeah, so I'll start on the Dolphins side where, you know, at that point they were uh, they were two and seven. You know, they, had, they had just broken a seven game losing streak the week before by beating the Texans where they did start to kind of sow the seeds of, you know, that that cover zero, those cover zero looks that they just really overwhelmed Lamar Jackson with. Um, but it seemed like, yeah, something just kind of clicked at that point. You know, they really um, turned up the aggressiveness. They started to blitz a lot more. Um, they got some really, you know, efficient and, you know, just clean play from Tua Tungabaloa after he missed some games and even missed part of that Ravens game. Um, and then I think that they were also helped by, you know, a second half schedule that wasn't, you know, that was pretty light to, to put it, to put it nicely, to put it, you know, bluntly, you know, when you're facing, you know, Zach Wilson and, um, you know, Mike Lennon and those and Ian Book. I mean, uh, the margin for error really widens and credits them. They took advantage of it. Um, conversely, you know, uh, I was able to watch a lot of Ravens games uh, last year just because they were playing so much, so many uh, primetime games. And um, sometimes, like, a lot of the games didn't conflict. And but I think you saw a situation where they just weren't able to make, like, the, the key adjustments, uh, you know, not only from coaching, from a coaching point, but I don't think they really had the personnel to, to, to do that. I think that it just became too much after a while. I mean, I think that, um, you know, obviously, Lamar Gold Going down was probably the, the was really the breaking point because they didn't win a game after that. But you know, just even losing Marlon Humphrey and the way that the, the secondary was broken down, the injuries on along the offensive line. And I mean, they just weren't able to like play quote unquote Raven football. Maybe talk about that for for so for so long, but they just literally didn't have the personnel and the guys to do it. And um, for as much as you can scheme and coach things up, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to the players. And the Ravens just didn't have it by the end of the season. Most definitely. And so many successful coaches, especially at the highest level, will, will echo that exact same sentiment. Ultimately, it is on the players to go win games. It is on them to go execute. Uh, that's why they get paid more than the coaches do, frankly, as well. But you're absolutely right. Obviously, the Ravens then crumble a little bit um, all the way through, miss the playoffs for the first time. Lamar, I want to say in the Lamar era, but obviously they probably would have snuck in still if he was still healthy. Um, so getting, skipping forward to the off season, I guess, you know, you covered the Ravens. You've, you've, you've right started right into your professional career, right? Really as Lamar took off in his professional career, I guess. So obviously the, the big off season topic, Lamar's contract. I know people are a little tired of hearing it, but I just really want to hear your perspective because I feel like you have a, a fresh perspective and now you're a little bit outside, but still inside at the same time. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's crazy to really, Think that we're still talking about this because I remember in like 2020, 2021, you know, end of the 2020 season where, um, you know, the the narrative was like, yeah, like we're gonna John Harbaugh. I remember, I remember writing the story like John Harbaugh was like, we're gonna pick up their fifth his fifth year option. Um, you know, the year before Patrick Mahomes got his deal, Josh Allen was getting his deal, and it's like, all right, Lamar is next. And you fast forward a year, two years later, and it's like, what's going on? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of dynamics uh, playing. We know Lamar is a unique individual, not only you know as a, as a player, but just in the way like he's conducted his um, his you know kind of career. I mean, you look back to him not having an agent or any representation for the combine, and just kind of the, the nuances there. Uh, it's clear that the lack of representation is playing somewhat of a factor. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time, like you know, just kind of casually with people, and I'm like, I just don't. 
I, I just find it kind of weird that like Lamar is sitting in, you know, like a like a room with Eric DaCosta, and, you know, uh, you know, all the capologists and they're like going back and forth. Like, I just like don't have like I, I just have a hard time believing that. At the same time, I have a hard time believing like his mom is like sitting down next to him and they're like, oh, look, I want this much money in the fifth year. Like, I, it's just yeah, it weird. seems like, like cartoonish. Like, it's it, yeah, it's like, it's like I mean, and, and obviously there, there's players, other players in the NFL that, that, you know, have negotiated their own contract, but not on a deal of this magnitude. And not a quarterback. Um, Exactly. And, and it's clear it's clear that, you know, it's been reported that, um, you know, he's seeking. I mean, it's reported that he's seeking a fully guaranteed contract. Um, I think he's well within his right to do that, Not, maybe partly because of the, the contract that Sean Watson get, but also just because of the impact and the, his, uh, his value to the, not only this offense, but this entire team. Um, but I think the, the Ravens are well within their right as well to say, hey, uh, Deshaun Watson's contract was an aberration. If you look at Kyler Murray, if you look at Russell Wilson, I mean, they they got 160, 165 million guaranteed. Like, let's try to get you around that. Um, you know, from a third party kind of outsider, outside perspective, I would hope that they can kind of come to some type of agreement and just find some type of way to make it work. I mean, there's all this talk about people are talking about tagging and trading Lamar. Like, come on, like, let's be real. If the, I would be like shocked. I'd be like, I'd flip out in my seat if I woke up one day and I saw that the Ravens traded Lamar Jackson, because I just, that's just not what you do. Um, but again, from an outsider's perspective and kind of, again, from an outsider's perspective with inside knowledge. One foot in, one foot out a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, a little both. yeah. I would hope that, you know, after the season, however it ends, you know, Super Bowl wins, Super Bowl loss, whatever, whatever it is, whatever, making the playoffs, I mean, however the season ends, I would hope that they can kind of come back to each other, um, work something out because Lamar isn't just so, important and valuable to the organization. I mean, he's so important to the city of Baltimore. Definitely. And I think that a lot of kids from actual Baltimore resonate with him so much more yeah. than, than they really have any quarterback or any, you know, offensive player, player even. Really any player, yeah. Exactly. So um, it, it's definitely a different impact. The fact that he puts, you know, asses in the seats, uh, the jersey sales, ticket sales, everything. Everybody wants to go see such a dynamic and exciting player. So well, well summarized there, my friend. I guess switching gears, wanted to talk about the McDaniel experience and, and what it has been with such a quirky guy that you've been in front of and covering and all of these things. And obviously that's kind of the, the big deal this offseason for the Dolphins. You know, they make some big moves. They bring in Tyreek Hill, huge move. They bring in Teron Armstead, uh, a couple more draft picks, you know, in the, in the later rounds, things of that nature. But feels like despite making some pretty powerful moves like Tyreek Hill, he's really the one that has drawn the eye, the attention and uh, through his quirkiness. So I just wanted to ask what this offseason was like and covering the Dolphins in general and, and Hill coming in, pressure on Tua, all that coming into this season. Yeah, man, well, I'll tell you, it was a hectic offseason. I mean, you start with the day after the regular season ends, I'll wake up to a notification that Brian Flores was flyer fired. And, you know, Even I that, too. I, I almost, like, forgot about that situation. Exactly. Right? And I, I don't think anybody, too many people really expected that after the way that they finished the season winning eight of their last nine games. I mean, they finished with a five uh, over 500 for the second a consecutive season. That was the first time in the years that they had done that. So nobody had really, really seen that coming. Um, and then you, and then you go back to a couple of weeks after that with, with uh, his racial discrimination lawsuit, and then obviously the hiring of Mike McDaniel, which really laid the foundation for an offseason where they really wanted to build up the speed, you know, across the, 
the team. And obviously that results in them trading for Tyreek Hill, getting Toronto Armstead, getting uh, Chase Edmonds and uh, Raheem Mostert, and even Cedric Wilson Jr. I mean, he's all about speed. He's all about getting his guys in, uh, in, in space to, to work after the catch and whatnot. But, you know, off the field, kind of covering him. He, he is definitely a quirky guy. He, he's very self-deprecating. You have to stay on your toes um, in, the, in, in the interview room because you just never know when he's going to drop one line or kind of, you know, he, he just has a funny way about him. But but he's himself. And I think that, um you know, it, it's kind of brought a kind of a refreshing dynamic where, you know, Tua said it, you know, a couple of days ago, like he's not a yeller, he's not a screamer. Um, he's not really like, denigrating you and getting on you if you make a mistake he's really about a collaborative approach and trying to get the best out of his players um, but but he's himself and I think that that's the that's the thing that players really respect the fact that you know he is a little quirky he's maybe an acquired taste but he's himself um, and, and it uh, and it rubs off well on the rest of the guys definitely I feel like he goes into his press conferences just from lightly watching you know wherever I see one Twitter wherever it feels like his goal is to like make the media laugh more than yeah. He, like, he, you, you, when you ask him a question, you can see like the end just kind of treading in his brain, and he's thinking of something clever and witty. And he's he, he tries to think of these euphemisms, and sometimes <laughs> it's like uh, a screw and a hammer. It doesn't quite work together, yeah. but you know you see what he's doing. So yeah. definitely a, a very interesting guy. Tyreek Hill sets the world on fire with a bunch of comments, and you know talking about Patrick Mahomes, all those kinds of things. But uh, I guess just kind of bringing it forward to the season. What are your takeaways from the first win against the Patriots? And I would, I would really especially ask, you know, what is an overreaction versus what is something that is practical that can go strengths, weaknesses? You know, what is solid takeaways versus things that you think are overblown? Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably an overreaction is I'll kind of flip it and go to the defense where, you know, they limited the, the Patriots to seven points, got three turnovers, which included a defensive score. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot of um, hype around this defense, and deservedly so, because they, they sought out continuity. I mean, they finished last year as one of the season's best units. They kept all their 11 starters and then some. They kept the defensive coordinator. So there's definitely a lot of talk that this can be like a top 10 unit. Um, but I almost want to kind of like pump the brakes on that individual season opener because I think that the Patriots are just going to be like garbage this year. I don't think they're going to be very good. Um, I do think that this this could be like a top half of the of the league ranked unit. Um, but, you know, they're going to be tested this weekend. They're going to be tested by uh, Josh Allen next week, um, Joe Burrow the week after that. They have a December slate where they play the Chargers and the Packers and the Bills. Like, they're going to be tested. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know if they're that good, like limiting a team to seven to ten points and calls them three takeaways, three turnovers a game. Um, but I do think they are going to be pretty good. And like Mike McDaniel said, um, you know, this is the defensive team until proven otherwise. Um, I think something kind of practical is that, you know, what we saw from the offense, give or take maybe what we see on a week-to-week basis. So during the offseason, we saw all these 50 to 60-yard um, bombs to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, and we just saw them throwing it all over the place. And it's like, that was cool and all. You know, I kind of wanted to, like, pump some of the – I I, I want to be like a Debbie Downer during the, during the summer, during the offseason, during training camp when everyone's, like, really hyped for the team. And I'm almost all like, 32 teams, you know, the quarterback yeah. looks the best, everybody's got the speed, you know, everything's yeah. great. But you always like to put everything in context. And I thought that in some cases, like, we weren't looking at things with proper context. Like, the Dolphins had a lot of, you know, backup cornerbacks in there. Xavier Howard wasn't practicing. Byron Jones has been out since, you know, his offseason surgery. Um, you know, it, it's – summer training camp kind of fav- naturally favors the offense. So, it's like all the 50-yard downfield passes. I was like, all right, we might see that from time to time in the regular season. But they're not going to turn to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you know, so this is definitely an offense where I said before where they want to get these – got his ball in space. I mean, it doesn't mean it's going to be 20 yards downfield. I mean, half of Tariq Hill's targets 
and the week one came like between 10 yards down the field. Um, you know, his average depth of target, you know, was like nine, which kind of matched with uh, what it was in his last season with the Chiefs. Um, so I think it's going to be a very efficient offense. Um, I, and I also do think that I've been saying it for a while. I mean, McDaniel has this reputation for being a run game expert and run game grill. Just because he, he, he loves the run game. He loves – he's so proud to be yeah. from the Shanahan tree and all that. But he's not bound to that at all. I mean, they had – 33 passes for Tua, many more dropbacks. They didn't run the ball well. I don't think they're going to be that great of a running team this year because I do, still do think that, you know, there are some young guys who maybe aren't there yet. I mean, they're going to be a passing team. And when you get Tyree Kill, when you get Jalen Waddle, you don't get those guys to hand it off 30 to 35 times a game. So I think that we are going to see. I mean, I, I've said it. I did predictions where I said I think Tua is going to throw for 4,000-plus yards, which has only been done by two other Dolphins quarterbacks. I mean, he's going to put up numbers because when you get guys like Tyree Kill and uh, Jalen Waddle, I mean, you don't do that to run the ball all the time. Definitely. And I guess just on a little side note, like I keep making this connection in my brain between and, – and obviously – McDaniel coming from the 49ers has to do with it. If I feel like Tua is so similar to Jimmy Garoppolo in so many ways, and what he's underrated at is getting his star players the ball. Like he yeah. understands I need to put the ball in Tyree Kill's hands. Is he a little bit more of a quick, you know, underneath guy at times? Absolutely. But, um, you know, not the most, you know, he doesn't have the most zip on throwing outs and things like that. So I think it's really interesting that he kind of has that quarterback as he comes to Miami in, in Tua ultimately. Um, so, I just wanted to kind of, I guess, staying on the defensive side of the ball, you said something and a lot of people said, oh, Brian Flores is gone, so it's going to be a different defense. And I think that was a, a very improper way of setting expectations. Boyer does remain. Boyer is a really respected defensive mind um, and, and wouldn't be, you know, if Brian Flores didn't bring him in, didn't remain with him for, for some time as well. So, <clears throat> pardon me, how do you expect the Ravens to kind of avoid that similar sloppy struggle that they had offensively, obviously injuries factor in a little bit, but how do you think that the Ravens end up dealing with the dolphins a little bit more efficiently and effectively uh, or not ultimately in this matchup? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, I wasn't able to, I, I did ask Josh Boyer about kind of his, his um, thought process behind, you know, like how the difficulties behind game planning for a second meeting with the team. Like if you've played them, um, you know, if you played them, for the second time in the season, if you played them like recently last season, and he's like, hey, we have to keep some element of surprise. We have to, um, you know, switch it up a little bit, but, you know, we still want to do what we do best and put our players to succeed. Now, given that, you know, when you look back at, at that game, you know, I, I, the second question I wasn't able to get in, which I'm really curious is like, how much did that short week kind of play into both sides preparation? So it's like, all right, you only have two real days of prep. Um, how much do you really, are you just kind of focusing on one specific game plan and you're just kind of like throwing that at the wall and so we're going to focus on that and opposed to the, and with the uh, Ravens side, like how much was it like, all right, we don't have enough time to really like scour all the film. And, and it was you know, a, a, what, a, a one and two and seven team at the point when they played? They were two and seven two and, and seven. they had it, they had it blitz and Lamar did say that like they, the, the Dolphins hadn't. I mean, they, I don't think any team has done cover zero like that. But, um, yeah, the, the Dolphins weren't really relying on that as much as – nearly as much as they did, you know, entering that game. Um, so, obviously, I think that it starts up front. I mean, I think that, you know, they, they're obviously – it started with the run game, which is like, has long been the engine of this team. So, uh, the Dolphins were able to, to crowd the line of scrimmage. Um, they did something really unique where they moved uh, their inside linebacker, Jerome Baker, to, to the edge. And they were able to kind of use his speed um, to kind of neutralize maybe some of the read options, some of the speed options stuff that the Ravens like to do. Um, and then when they got them behind and, and down in distance, I mean, they went to cover zero and they, they, they kind of dared – 
Lamar to, 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 to beat him with his arm and to make the proper checks. And they just weren't able to, I think that um, even Josh Boyer mentioned that, Hey, the, the Ravens had some good counters, um, you know, especially with some of those sideline throws. Um, I don't know if this is a game where you want to play in like a bunch of 11 personnel and then kind of get more of that speed on the, on the field. Um, you know, cause, cause they, I mean, there's a lot of team, they have really great team speed on Miami side, um, but you don't want to play it in a phone booth. And it, when I was watching that game, it felt like it was literally played like within like a two by two foot kind of like kind of box. Very it's like tight it like, between the numbers. Everything was very, very tight. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, maybe like, like, limit some of those condensed formations but you know maybe you can take advantage of um whether it's 12 personnel or you know some two dot two t- tight end sets i think this is a game where um, you know guys have to step up I mean, you mentioned it you have to beat man um downfield and i think that there may be some opportunities uh on sunday because byron jones isn't in the game um you know xavier howard it's tough to, to get on him but um, nick needham was targeted a lot against the patriots he did give up some passes um they're gonna have some young guys and a drafted rookie that's probably gonna play some snaps in the slot um guys are gonna have to win guys are gonna have to win their battles one-on-one some type of way definitely I think you bring up a really interesting point of the fact that it was a short week and it feels like Boyer and and Flores probably like all right we are in a fight or flight situation we're two and seven what if we just use this same kind of pressure front into like most of the game and all the high leverage situations we have a day or two to really kind of hone in on that get ready to execute that and that's what we're going to do and then stick to it I think that simplifies things on a short week for sure um, so I did want to ask you, I have one, one more serious question. And then one, I just wanted to ask about your return to the four one Oh. So, uh, Miami wins this game if blank and they lose this game. If blank Miami wins this game, if they can keep the Ravens offense behind down in distance, and if they can block in the interior of the line, there's a lot of questions about the availability of the two starting tackles, Teron Armstead and Austin Jackson. I think Teron Armstead will play. Austin Jackson hasn't practiced yet, so I, I feel like it's kind of unlikely he plays. Um, but they're going to have their hands full in the interior with Michael Pierce and Justin Medebike. It looks like Travis Jones might be coming back. Um, so they're going to need to definitely, you know, if they get the pressure up into his face, I mean, it's going to be tough. He's not going to step into these passes and whatnot. He can move side to side and kind of scramble out. Um, but you really want to get that pressure in his face because he's a shorter quarterback he's not gonna just kind of like let it let it loose um and again conversely i mean the i think it starts up front where i think the dolphins defensive front has a real advantage against the ravens offensive line so if you get them in those second and eight you know second and ten and then you get them to third and eight third and seven um you know they're gonna sit on those routes they're gonna show those cover zero looks and uh you know like you said i don't, I don't think they're gonna do it to the extent that they did i know jonah schaefer yeah, that my will be partner at the sun said that they showed it uh, short cover zero on 31 of his 50 dropbacks i don't know if we're gonna see that um, but if they get into these third and eight situations yeah for sure they're gonna bring that out definitely they're they're gonna want to show it in high leverage situations i feel like and try and see if if it works all right let's go back to it they didn't have the answer if not then okay we, they, they probably expect the ravens to play much better against those looks and be prepared for them the second time around so um with that i, I do want to get your prediction for this game but i wanted to ask you first you're coming back to the 410 what is the first meal? You know, maybe it's your mom's cooking, but first thing you want to eat after your mom's cooking. I know you love your mom's cooking, so that might be number one. Yeah, I was going to say. That, what, are, what are you like, man? I'm jonesing for, you know, whatever it is. So the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, you know, I've, I've been put in charge of, uh, I've been put in charge of media, rest, media dinner plans. Like we usually when we go out on the road, the, the Miami media, we go out and eat. So everyone's kind of like getting on me. And I'm like, I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah, I know some spots, but I don't know, like, upscale you know i just got out of college i haven't really been eating in the upscale dining places so i had to look up some spots i actually got some nice uh, uh, some nice recommendations so we're gonna go to the charles go to charleston uh by, i think it's harbor east 
but I don't know in terms of like what would I want, like probably some crab cakes. But the thing is, like during COVID, my mom learned how to make crab cakes. So I don't even like go out. I don't even go out to eat crab cakes. Like I so I'ma just be like, I'm gonna be a glutton. I'm gonna just be eating in, in my in my mom's house all weekend. Um love it. But, I, but love I'm excited. It. Absolutely love it. I'm sure you're super pumped. Uh, but wanted to get your prediction. How do you think this uh this one pans out? Man, you might have people in my mentions. So uh, we did we did game by game predictions at, at the Herald uh, about a week ago, and about a week ago I picked the Ravens to win this game by like one or two points. Um, I, I thought that Ronnie Stanley, Marcus Peters, J.K. Dobbins, I thought all those guys would be back by now. Um, it looks like maybe J.K. will be able to play. Marcus Peters maybe, but Ronnie definitely not. Um, just given some of the injuries in the secondary and the advantage of the Dolphins, I think the Dolphins have up front in terms of their defensive line versus the Ravens offensive line. I think that that allows them to make one more play in a, in a hostile environment. Um, I'm going with the Dolphins 24 to 23. You know, I feel like if I pick the Ravens, everyone would say I'm a homer, but now, now everyone's going to flip it on me and say, oh, now nah, nah, you've been in Miami too long. You're going with the Dolphins. But I think it's going to be a really – 305, not Mr. 410 anymore. But you're <laughs> just being unbiased, my friend. They, they're not going to claim me in the city anymore. But, yeah, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going with the Dolphins by one point. I feel you. I, uh, I think I'm going to go a similar route as well, to be honest. So, uh, Dan, I appreciate you so much. You guys can find Dan on Twitter at Daniel Oyafusi, O-Y-E-F-U-S-I. And you can find him. You say hat to you. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear that, man. Like when I when I get to BWI and I we we went to Rita Goldwell's party. I told you last night, Rita and Glenn Clark of 1057 and the Glenn Clark Radio, and they were Avenue Avenue. You're gonna get to hear all of it, man. It's the greatest accent in the world, man. You are. You're gonna get it all. So I'm pumped for you to be back. Hope you have an awesome time, Dan. Thank you so much. I know you got a flight to catch. I appreciate you coming on this morning and. Have a great weekend, man. Hit me up. Let's uh, let's get together if you got a little chance. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Anytime. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.